week with is, which tribe are you from? Does anyone know? Stephen does. I know. The good one. So, when we open the Torah, the Torah tells us that there are 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel are from the 12 sons of Jacob. So Jacob, Yaakov, our forefather, has 12 sons. Um, Six sons from his four wives. Six sons from his wife, Leah. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zebulun. He has two sons from his wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. Two sons from his wife, Bilha, um, Gad, and Asher. And two wives, two sons, sorry, from his wife, Zilpah, Dan, sorry, the way around. Bilha's sons were Dan and Naphtali, and Zilpah's sons were God and Asher. And so um, he has 12 sons in all, um, born to the four mothers um, over, and they're born over a period. Um, and so Jacob has these 12 sons, um, and each one, um, each one is unique. Each one kind of grows up as a son of Jacob. He raises them all. There are some incidents with each of the sons. Reuven is the oldest son. Despite being the oldest son, he doesn't rise to any prominence. And that is apparently because he has an incident that the Torah mentions very briefly and very cryptically. Um, The Torah tells us that he had an incident with his stepmother, Bilha, his father's other wife. What exactly happened, the Torah is unclear about, and our sages offer different interpretations as to what possibly happened. Um, so what exactly happened, we don't know, but uh, because of this incident, Reuben lost his status that he would have as kind of the lead brother, being the oldest, um, and uh, he doesn't feature prominently among the brothers. Later, he is instrumental, though, in saving the life of Joseph, when his other brothers want to kill Joseph, Reuben convinces them to save Joseph. Um, the next two brothers, Shimon and Levi, both get themselves into trouble as young men when their sister Dina, the, the Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter, their sister Dina gets kidnapped and raped and um, they um, trick the city of Shechem into circumcising themselves and then when they're all sick from the circumcision they um, attack the city and kill out the city Um, Jacob is very upset about that action Um, and so um, Shimon later as we'll see becomes an almost irrelevant tribe while Levi is going to become one of the most prominent tribes but stands unique as a different tribe Um, doesn't stand with the other tribes Joseph, of course, is the one that features most prominently in the story of Jacob um, and his sons. Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, being the son of his favorite wife, um, Rachel, Rachel. And Joseph is sold. His brothers are jealous of him. They sell him as a slave when he's 17 years old. And uh, he ends up in Egypt. And after a long story, he ends up becoming the um, second to Pharaoh, where he manages Egypt through a famine. And he ends up meeting his brothers who come down to Egypt for food. He... Um, first scares them and then eventually tells them who he is and invites the whole family down to Egypt where he offers to care for all of them for the rest of his life. And so Joseph, of course, then becomes clearly the lead brother. At the end of the um, Jacob's life, 
Jacob turns to all of his 12 sons and he blesses each of his sons. Each of his sons gets a unique blessing. Or more accurately, the first three sons, Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, he actually tells off because he had a problem with Reuben for his incident with Bilhah. He, had, he was upset at Shimon and Levi for their incident with Shechem, um, destroying the city of Shechem. Um, our sages say Shimon and Levi were also responsible for um, the sale of Joseph, selling Joseph. Um, it's debated whether or not Jacob ever found out about it. It's unclear from the Torah. Um, but later he blesses Judah as to be the leader of all his brothers. Um, later, of course, Judah is going to be the um, lead tribe. Um, we'll talk about that in a moment. And he blesses his, um, his other sons, each one with a unique blessing. Yisachar, some of them comparing to different animals. Judah compares to a lion. Yisachar, he compares to a donkey. Zavulan, he speaks of um, as a seafarer. Um, then Dan, he compares to a snake, a serpent. Um, and then Naphtali, he compares to a um, deer. And uh, Asher, he speaks about um, he speaks about his uh, he speaks about his wonderful land, and uh, each one he gives Joseph he compares to a um, Joseph he compares to a uh, bull, and um, Benjamin he compares to a um, Benjamin he compares to a wolf, and so each of his sons get kind of this different blessing. God, um, I skipped a few. God gets um, is told that he's going to have very powerful military coming from him. Um, he's going to have troops. Um, and so I think I covered... And Dan, uh, Danny compared to a snake. So each one um, has a different... Um, each one is going to have a different... Each one gets a different unique blessing from Jacob. Now, at the end of his life, Jacob instructs that when he dies, they should take him back to the land of Israel um, and his sons should carry him back up. So all 12 sons then take him back to the land of Israel. But then they come back down to Egypt. Now... Before de- Jacob's death, he calls in his son Joseph, and he tells Joseph that Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he says, Joseph, your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, will be my sons. They'll be like my other sons, and they will become their own tribes. Granting, apparently knowing that each of his sons, now he was already the grandfather of a big family. When he came down to Egypt, he had 70 male descendants. Um, or 68 male descendants, when he came, comes down to, um, uh, by now, years later, he probably had much more. They're each, one has become their own tribe. He blesses um, Joseph that each of his two sons shall become a distinct tribe. So that, of course, would leave us with 13 tribes, taking out Joseph, but adding Ephraim and Manasseh. However, what's going to happen later is Levi is going to be excluded as a tribe. And though part of Israel always counted separately, not counted as part of one of the 12 tribes. So when the Jews left Egypt, each, the 600,000 of them, when Israel leaves Egypt, there are 600,000 of them. Each one of them knows which tribe they are from. They had retained their tribal identity. So though they were in Egypt for some 200 years, um, and it had been um, well over 100 years since their ancestors had died, 150 years or so since their ancestors had died, they had all retained 
the identity of their tribe. Everyone knew which tribe they are from. And later the Torah is going to not only give us which tribe, but every tribe was split into families. And every, every member of Israel knew which family, which sub-family they were from. So in the desert, in Parshat Bamidbar, two weeks ago, we actually count each tribe, and we give a number of members for each tribe. And we're told that each tribe has a leader, um, and we're given a name for the leader of each tribe. And then each tribe has a flag, although the Torah doesn't describe the flags, the Midrash does. And each tribe is going to camp separately, or we're, they're going to camp in a formation on the four sides. Um, in other words, they're going to, one's going to be on the east side, one on the west, one on the north, and one on the south. Yes, Tom? The Torah specifically said that each of the tribes' total number that were counted was divisible by 50. What's the significance of that? That is a very good question. So when the Torah counts the numbers of the tribes, all the tribes are all counted to the hundred. In other words, it's whatever number and 100, with the exception of one tribe, the tribe of God, which the Torah gives us the 50. Commentaries debate as to whether those numbers were exact, which just happened like that, that they were exact, um, while other commentaries suggest that um, that's actually a rounded number. It's not exactly to the 100, but they're rather rounded numbers. Um, and the reason why God was rounded to a 50 instead of a 100 was perhaps because it was right in the middle, and therefore the Torah just rounded it to 50. Um, so we don't know. So the tribes have um, different... There's each of the tribes, so we have... Um, they're made and put in different camps. Judah is on the east side of the... Um, is on the east side and the first one to travel. And together with Judah is the tribes of Reuben and Shimon. Judah's flag was a lion, as Jacob had blessed them. Um, the flag of Reuben, Jacob did not give Reuben any specific um, blessing, because he had rather rebuked him. But the flag of Reuben, our sages say, were the Dudaim plant, which is a plant that he had gifted his mother in the Torah. The Torah tells about it, and so that was on their flag. Shimon also did not get any um, specific um, blessing from Jacob, but because he destroyed the city of Shechem, the city of Shechem was, was or the walls of Shechem were his on his flag. Um, then we had, that's on the eastern side, um, then on the, um, um, then on the, um, on the southern side, we have the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, both from Joseph, um, each one has um, a um, bull. Um, Ephraim has a, an, a bull that Joseph is compared to, and Manasseh has a ra'im. A ra'im seems to be a kind of buffalo, a giant um, bull a family animal that was common in the Middle East at the time and mentioned many times in Scripture. Later, Joseph, uh, Moses is going to bless Manasseh to be like a ra'im. Um, then the tribe of Benjamin is together with them, and Benjamin is going to be a... Um, Benjamin has on his flag the wolf, um, which is what Jacob had blessed him with. Then um, the, next, um, uh, the next grouping is going to be... Um, um, sorry, I'm looking at the groupings. 
Um, sorry, group, um, I'm mixing up the groupings. But um, the um, tribe of Dan has a snake. Naphtali is going, to have a, um, is going to have a deer, which is what they were compared to. God is told they're going to have a strong military. So it, was a, it says it was a military, which presumably it was the weapons of a military. Asher is told that, about, that they're going to have wonderful olives in their land. So on their, um, on their um, flag was an olive tree. Yisachar um, is told they're going to be a donkey, like compared to a donkey. Um, and so they have a donkey on their flag, and Zavulun are going to be seafarers, so they're going to have a ship on their flag. So each tribe has their unique flag. And then the high priest also, we're told, is going to have a breastplate. In other words, a plate that goes over his chest. And on the plate are going to be 12 stones. And each of the 12 stones is going to have the name of one of the tribes actually engraved on it. So these are the 12 tribes, and each... Um, tribe camped distinctly, stood distinctly in the desert. Levi stood apart from all the other tribes. In number was much smaller than the tribes. Um, the largest tribes are Judah and Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which together would be the largest. Um, the, um, while um, uh, Levi is much, much smaller than the other tribes, less than half of most of the other tribes, and um, Levi becomes kind of a distinct tribe that stands alone from the other tribes, and they're camping around um, in their camping around the um, Mishkan. They camp separately from everybody else. And so later they're going to enter the land of Israel. Now, when they enter the land of Israel, each tribe is given a distinct land in the land of Israel. So. Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh turn to Moses and they say, we want to get land east of the Jordan River. Originally, the land of Israel was supposed to be land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. East of the Jordan River was not meant for our people. But Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were um, shepherds and they had lots of sheep and they wanted good grazing land. And east of the Jordan River was excellent grazing land. They asked Moses to get the land east of the Jordan River. Moses agrees on condition that they cross the Jordan River with all of Israel to um, wage war with their brothers in um, the land of Canaan. They agree to do so. So Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh have um, land east of the Jordan River. Now, Judah, the tribe of Judah, is given the southern part of Israel. Um, around Jerusalem and Hebron is given, to, um, is given to the tribe of Judah. Shimon becomes a very, very small tribe. There's a, um, Shimon ends up um, with an incident uh, where they worship idols with Moabite women, and most of the tribe, or half the tribe of Shimon, is wiped out um, in a plague as a result of this incident. So when Shimon enters the land, they're a very small tribe. And um, Shimon's tribe, Shimon ends up getting land together with Judah in southern Israel. And Shimon essentially, we don't hear of much afterwards. They virtually disappear. Um, While we believe that all tribes remain and there are descendants of all tribes, um, but Shimon does not have any mention later in scripture as a distinct tribe at all. Um, Benjamin has land right above Judah, um, just north of Jerusalem, the hills north of Jerusalem is given to the tribe of Benjamin. Now, along the coast, along, no, sorry, Ephraim and Manasseh, um, the half of Manasseh got east of the Jordan River, 
Ephraim and Menashe get the very center of Israel, around the land of Shechem, the area today known as Samaria. In biblical times, it was called Mount Ephraim. Um, and so the um, Dan gets the central coast, where modern-day Tel Aviv is, while Zavulun gets the nor- northern coast, where modern-day Haifa would be, um, where the port of, um, at the time, was the port of Akko. Um, Later, uh, the other tribes, um, Gad, Naphtali, Asher, and Yisachar, all get northern Israel, what today would be called the Galilee. Now, Dan, in the book of Joshua, are not happy with their part. They get a very small section, and they're a big tribe. The reason is because they got um, what today in Israel is called Gushdan, Dan area, um, the area around Tel Aviv, which is the most fertile part of Israel. And because the land was not split by size but by value, Members of Dan got very small plots. They weren't happy. And so Joshua said, if you don't like it, you could go take more land. Go head north of Israel and go capture some land. It's yours to keep. So they do that. And so half of Dan ends up at the very, very northern tip of Israel. um, In what today would probably be already Lebanon or Syria. Um, and so now the tribes, the tribe of Levi does not get, a pro, does not get land. The tribe of Levi is sit, split into 48 towns all across Israel. So while most of the members of the other tribes live essentially in rural villages, everyone being farmers, Dan, uh, sorry, Levi gets the towns and they get 48 towns all over Israel. The towns essentially are where the Levites are, including towns like Jerusalem, Hebron, Shechem. All the known towns all become um, Levite towns. So now, in the early period of Israel, after the death of Joshua, for about 350 years, um, there is no centralized, there is weak centralized leadership in Israel. It is a period known as the Judges. At the time... Um, Israel was led by a Sanhedrin, a Supreme Council, um, that was um, based in different places, Supreme Council of Elders, that was in charge of creating laws or um, adjusting uh, or developing Torah law as necessary and um, creating the judicial system. But they really had no executive power. Um, and they weren't, really weren't managing the country at all. The executive power was vested in what was called a shofate or a judge, the only real role of this shofet, of the executive, was to, when necessary, raise armies to defend the land from enemies. And they did at different times throughout the book of Shoftim, throughout the book of Judges. Otherwise, it appears that most, tribal, most tribes had their own internal leadership and took care of their own issues internally. There was no national government. Um, later, each tribe essentially runs its own affairs. Now, during this period... There is an incident where the people that we were told about in the book of Shoftim, the book of Judges, um, perhaps the most, we could call the most tragic incident in all of scripture um, and most horrific incident in scripture, where the people of um, Givat Binyam, maybe we should do a class about it if someone wants to come to a horror class. Um, um, it's called Pilegish Begiva, the rape in Giva. Um, and so um, the people in Givat Binyamin, which was a town in the tribe of Benjamin, um, they rape and they kill a woman who was passing through the town. And so um, the tribe, though, refused to try the murderers um, and refused to put the murderers to, uh, refers to try them and, um, and uh, bring them to justice. 
And so the other tribes were furious when they heard about it. And after giving Benjamin warnings, they waged war against Benjamin, which turned out to be a very bloody war where many Jews on both sides were killed. Um, and as a result of this war, though, the tribe of Benjamin was wiped out, leaving... We don't know. They were protecting their own. So um, the tribe of Benjamin was wiped out for not, uh, as a result of this war, and leaving only 300 men alive from the tribe of Benjamin, effectively making Benjamin a tiny tribe. Remember, most of the other tribes numbered in the desert tens of thousands of men. Um, and um, probably by now, each tribe probably numbered, if not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And so Benjamin's now brought down to a total of 300 men, becoming essentially tiny. Um, and after that, the tribe of Benjamin is extremely, extremely small. Rabbi, does Benjamin still keep all their land? They still keep their land, but they're very and small. now they have smaller numbers. So they're much smaller. Has... They have bigger plots, yes. Yes. Really? yes. You said that uh, 600,000 left Egypt. How many actually entered Israel? Also 600,000, about the same number. No, because they all died. Everyone that left Egypt died. So now, about, about 350 years after they enter the Promised Land, um, or a little more, um, the prophet Samuel becomes the leader of the Sanhedrin. Um, and he essentially, he's a leader um, that they hadn't had for all this time, since the days of Moses and Joshua. And he essentially unites Israel, all of Israel is united under Samuel, recognizing his leadership. Um, and Samuel, on the request of the people, appoints the first king called Shaul, or Saul, who comes actually from the tribe of Benjamin, which by this point, as we know, was a tiny tribe. Um, and so Saul becomes king, and he unites Israel under a single executive who has a standing army now and controls and um, has a tax system to raise money um, and um, essentially run the country as a single country. Um, after King Shaul's death, um, the tribe of Judah, which by now the tribe of Judah was the largest tribe, by far the largest tribe, chooses Saul's son, son-in-law, sorry, David, who was a member of the tribe of Judah, um, as king. While the other 11 tribes go with Saul's son, whose name was Ishbosheth. And this split where Judah has one king, um, David, uh, who rules out of Hebron, and the other 11 tribes have another king last for seven years, until um, Ishbosheth's general or head of his army, whose name is Avner, um, ends up um, moving over to David's side. And as a result, the um, kingdom once again becomes united under David, and David becomes king of Israel, which he then rule, continues to rule for another 33 years. R rules over all of Israel, makes his capital in Jerusalem, which was in Judah's area, but at the very northern tip of Judah, so closer to the rest of um, Israel. Um, and so at this point... Um, by the days of King David, we know Judah and the Joseph's tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, are the dominant tribes, while all the other tribes at this point appear to be very, very small and minor. And from this point on, um, and even earlier, um, almost 
all major roles in government and leadership in Israel, and stories in scripture, are either with Judah or with um, Ephraim, as it's often called, um, and uh, Joseph's children. And uh, often Israel is just referred to as Judah or Ephraim. Um, after, Joseph's, after David's death, his son Solomon becomes king. Now, after Solomon's death, um, Israel comes to anoint his son Rehavam as king, appoint the son Rehavam. And however, Solomon had lived a very, very um, extravagant lifestyle and um, had very, very high taxes. And the people um, turn to Rehavam and they say, we'll appoint you as king, the leaders, but only on condition that you lower taxes. And Rehavam, after consulting with his friends, decides to um, get tough on them. And he says, if you thought my father's taxes were high, wait till you see mine. And so as a result of this, ten tribes decide to leave um, Judah and Rehavam. And they appoint a member of the tribe of Ephraim called Yeravam or Jerobam as their king. And he makes his capital Shechem. And he is king of the northern kingdom, often referred to as the Ten Tribes, um, or the, tri the, the kingdom of Israel. Rehavah, meanwhile, becomes king over um, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, which, as we said, was tiny, but was just north of Jerusalem. And he becomes king over the southern kingdom. So now, for the next more than 200 years, Israel is split between two kingdoms a northern kingdom called the Kingdom of Israel, and a southern kingdom, uh, which is usually called the Ten Tribes, although likely Shimon wasn't part of it, so it was probably a kingdom really of nine tribes. Um, the, um, the, well, this, and then there was the southern kingdom, which was the Kingdom of Judah, that probably had a small part of Benjamin, um, and maybe some Shimonites, which were lived among Judah, um, among them. Um, and so at this point, so there are these two kingdoms. The northern kingdom of the ten tribes remains fairly unstable with constant coups where essentially the chief of the army overthrows the king. It happens on a regular basis throughout this 200-year period. Um, a later king, um, a later king, Amri, moves the capital from Shechem and builds a new capital that he calls Shomron or Samaria um, in Mount Ephraim. Um, and, uh, and meanwhile, the southern kingdom, and most of the northern kings are tyrants, they're idolaters, it's a horrible place. The southern kingdom, meanwhile, remains pretty stable until the leaders, descendants of the kings, descendants of the house of David, some better than others, but it remains fairly stable throughout this period. After about 200 years, right, so we're talking now, um, we're talking now some um, 2,700 years ago, um, the Assyrians invade Israel, um, and they capture the northern kingdom in a few phases, and they exile the ten tribes. Now, what happens to the ten tribes is an open question. We did a class some time ago about the ten lost tribes, as they're often called. Um, whether they're lost or not is an open question. They possibly are, possibly not. Um, there have been claims, though, of people who sightings of the ten lost tribes over the years. Um, the Assyrians continue on to the gates of Jerusalem, where they fall at the gates of Jerusalem. And after the defeat of the Assyrian army, Chizkiyahu, who is the king of Judah, extends his, king, his reign to all of Israel. 
and now he is king over the entire Israel. And so the entire Israel now becomes Judah or Judea, Yehuda in Hebrew. And so now Israel is no longer called Israel, but it's called Judea. Possibly at this point, the people of Israel are now called Yehudim Jews. There are other possible sources or um, etymology for the word Yehudim, but this is at least one possible and likely source where it came from. Um, So now the other ten tribes may have come back from the exile once Chizkiyahu extends his reign over all of Israel, at least some of them may have come back. Um, it appears that they were exiled to Mesopotamia, where the Assyrians ruled. Um, later, all of Israel is going to be, all the Judea is going to be exiled to Mesopotamia. And so, if there were the ten tribes still that were still identifying as Jews at the time, they would have mixed in with the Jews that came later. Um, So later Judea itself is destroyed by the Babylonians, the people exiled to Mesopotamia, and at this point already they are known as Jews, um, the Jewish people. So which tribe are we from today, now that we know the history of the tribes? So it is likely, given that Judah was the dominant tribe and the largest tribe, given that many of the other tribes... Benjamin, Shimon kind of lost most of them, became very, very small. Um, given that, um, given that um, the other ten tribes were exiled, um, we're not certain with what, what happened to them. Um, it is likely that most Jews today are descendants of Judah, Yehuda. Um, now, there have been arguments that Jews today are descendants of um, are descendants of converts. Um, people have made that argument over the years, whether converts in Roman times, or people have suggested Kuzari converts. Kuzari was a kingdom that later, um, the, a, a Jewish kingdom in southern Ukraine that lived around the 8900s. Um, it is almost certainly incorrect um, because we have a very good record of our history um, and we know um, where Jews were and who they were throughout history. And we don't really have any record of a time that there were very large members joining the Jewish people um, or, um, and us mixing in with other large groups. So it's very unlikely. While we did have individual converts over the years, it is most Jews are probably not... Well, we probably have some ancestry from other places, almost certainly do, because if you go back 10 generations, you have a 1,000 ancestors. Um, but at the same... If we follow the paternal line, which the tribes generally did, um, we are most likely descendants, paternal descendants of Jacob. Um, DNA evidence today um, and research that has done, extensive research that has been done today at Yeshiva University, they have a big program for um, genetic research, Jewish genetic research, um, has proven almost beyond any doubt that Jews are genetically from the same people, from the same tribe. So um, we're almost certainly mostly descendants of Jacob and his descendants um, and the original Jews. Um, but we, so we, but which tribe are we from? We are most likely, um, if we want to go back to our paternal ancestry, or most of our ancestors are most likely from Judah. Yes, Susan? Um, well, Sephardic Jews and Ashkenazic Jews um, physically look kind of different. Ashkenazic Jews are 
It's kind of interesting. Ashkenazic and Sephardic Jews look fairly different. Um, and even among Jews, Jews from different areas look fairly different. Um, what we've actually discovered, thanks to DNA testing now and genetic and uh, huge Jewish genome research project that's been going on for close to 20 years now, um, what we've discovered is that Jews are actually genetically extremely close, despite external differences. Um, and one thing that genetics have shown us was that when people always separated people by their external looks, external looks tend to have very be a very small part of genetic makeup. Um, so we don't know why Ashkenazic Jews became lighter skinned and Sephardic Jews became darker skinned. For that matter, Sephardic Jews in Turkey, Syria, like their counterparts in their area, tend to be of lighter skin. While Sephardic Jews in Morocco, North Africa, tend to be darker skin, and even more so in um, Yemen, tend to be very dark skin. Um, there may India. be Yemen and India. Indian Jews might be more complicated. Um, there may be some. Um, there may we don't know exactly how um, DNA evolves. We still haven't figured it all out yet. But there may be something to the arguments that external features actually do evolve based on where you live over very long periods of time. Yes? My parents always used to refer to Jews, which they were one, as members of tribe. Yes. M-O-T. Yes. This, I used to hear this regularly. We are a tribe, a tribe of <laughs> Israel, but then Israel subdivided into tribes. So most Jews over the years, and we are going back many years, remember that we lost our tribal, or the Judah extended its reign over all of Israel, which at this point tribal identification essentially was lost um, about 2,700 years ago. So we are talking, um, if there's about 25 years on average per generation, maybe 30, um, we're talking about, um, you know, some... Um, you know, 100 generations back. So um, we've lost our tribal identity. We mostly don't know which tribe we come from. The only ones that still have tracked it are Kohanim and Levites. Because Kohanim and Levites have distinct roles among the Jewish people till today, Kohen, Kohanim and Levim have tracked their tribal identity, paternal tribal identity. Um, they number a little under 10%. I think it's about 8 or 9% of Jews today. Um, identify as Kohanim or Levites, um, which would be, of course, a much higher percentage than they were in the desert. In the desert, um, they numbered uh, under 4% of Israel, uh, but today they're more than double that. Um, now, can you yes. see in genes, Kohen, Levi, They've found the Kohen gene marker. I don't know about Levites. Um, so, but even though we... Don't, haven't been able to track our tribes, we still have retained today a strong family identity. And this has always been very important to Jews. We have a very strong sense of family identity. Um, Jews, more than any other group today, it's become very popular with Ancestry.com, but Jews, more than any other group, are able to go back and know the names of their grandparents and great-grandparents and their cousins. And we've been very, very strong on family identity um, for a very, very long time. Um, most people... Uh, if you've asked your grandparents uh, or parents have kind of written down the ancestry going back at least a couple of generations 
Um, I know my grandfather knew um, ancestry going back a few generations. Most of us do. And um, that's because we've always put a very strong premium on ancestry, on family um, ancestry, and identity, essentially. Um, if you will, tribal or family identity. Although we don't know which tribe we're from necessarily, some people, have, very few, have a tract or claim to have a tract. How accurate they are, I don't know, because it's been so long. Um, it's hard to really know. Um, but we have put a very strong emphasis on paternal identity and tribal identity. And interestingly, one thing that we've discovered now that we have the one, two, three, and me, uh, the 23 and me, and we have um, genetic testing, um, I think I've mentioned this in other uh, before. One interesting thing that we found is that while um, in the general population, um, people are discovering um, that their fathers are not who they thought they were. Um, and that's actually fairly common, more common than you would think. I think one, two, three, and me um, in a press release some time ago put it at about 5%. Um, so it's fairly common, believe it or not. Um, you can imagine over a few generations, the chances of your great-grandfather being whom you thought he was is probably not very high. Um, um, among, interestingly, among Jews, that's not true. Among Jews, it's not true at all. It's extremely rare for Jews to find that their father is not whom they thought he was. So uh, we've kept a very strong sense of paternal identity that other groups have not kept. Um, and I don't know all groups, but at least most, you know, kind of the general population has not. Um, so we Jews do have a very strong sense of tribal identity um, even today. Now, we believe that when Moshiach comes... Um, in the future times, we will go, and Ezekiel says, we will go back to our original portion in Israel, and we will be split once again among the 12 tribes, um, and everybody would be, will be told which tribe they came from, and uh, there will be members still around of each of the 12 tribes. Um, so we believe there are members, surviving members. God will not let any tribe be destroyed. Um, and so uh, there will be, so there are surviving members of each of the 12 tribes. Um, now, what we've seen from this is that in Judaism, tribalism has become very important, or always was very important. Tribalism, a sense of identity, is very, very important. Now, in this country, one of the gifts that the United States, or one of the things that the United States um, gave its people, different to Europe, was the lack of aristocracy. In Europe, um, you were essentially, your class was defined by how you were born. Um, you came to the United States, doesn't matter who your dad was, doesn't matter if you were a prince or a knight or a squire or whatever else you may have been, a baron, didn't matter. You, everyone started the same in this country. There is no, um, there is no aristocracy in this country at all. Um, and we see it as a value. As Americans, we see it as a value that everybody's the same. Everybody's equal. Now, I wouldn't say Judaism doesn't have any aristocracy because we do have Cohen's and Levites. But while we may see families as being tribes, as one not necessarily being better than the other, we still saw it very important that we each have our own identity. And in fact... Tribal identity, identifying by your family, 
I am this family. This is my family. These are my parents. These are my grandparents. This is who I am. This being my identity is an important part of Judaism. The reason is because we believe that every person is both part of a group as well as individualistic. In other words, every person has a unique role, an individual role. Now, part of our individual role is our own achievements and accomplishments. But part of our role is given to us. Everybody has their uh, intelligence that is given to them, and everyone has different intelligences. Everyone has their talents that is given to them. Everyone has their unique things that happen in their lives that is given to them. And all our lives take different turns. And we are not all meant to live the same life. We are not meant to live in a drab, um, utilit- uh, a, a drab um, utopian society where everybody is the exact same. That would be so boring, right? And we would have no role. What's the point? You would have no uniqueness. So we believe every person has uniqueness, part of which is our own achievement, part of which is given to us. In other words, we're each put in a different situation. If two people were given the exact same opportunities, why do they both need it? Why do we need both of them? Every person is given unique roles and unique abilities that nobody else is given. So part of those unique roles and those unique abilities is also a unique sense of identity. I am who I am. And part of that is given to us by birth, both in our natural talents, but also just in who we are by our birthright, by being by our family, by our parents, Um, Are some better than others? Definitely it appears. Some are born into luckier families than others. Um, That's God's doing. Um, And we we should identify with that. People often, and you hear it from people all the time, um, will often say, I do this because my dad did it. This is what my dad did. Or this is what my mom did. And people often take after their parents. Um, They call it a chip off the old block, right? Um, But we often take after our parents, and that's a good thing. And we as parents often encourage our children to follow us in specific paths that we have taken. We want them to identify with us. Um, And often with our parents, continue the family tradition, continue the family legacy. And so that sense of a family tradition, a family legacy, a family value that I have a role in life to play. Part of my role in life is not just to be the best person I could be, but to continue. I'm part of a long legacy. I'm part of a long tradition. I'm part of a family. That is that tribal identity. And we as Jews have always put a very strong premium on that sense of tribalism. Not that because you're from a different tribe, you're no good. Not that we should dislike other groups, God forbid. Not that we should think ourselves of better than somebody else because we were born into a better family but rather that we should see that identity as a legacy that we need to continue, as a responsibility that we need to continue. So which tribe are we from today? We ultimately don't know. But the Arizal, unless you're a Levite, but the Arizal explains, the great Kabbalist, the Ari explains, that each tribe had a different path to serve God. And the reason why God split the 12 tribes into 12, is because each has a, has a different path to split, uh, to serve God. The Arizal explains that in the Sifirot, which is the 10 attributes God used in creation, when you merge Sifirot, there are 12 different forms of merge of Sifirot, um, what's called Yudbet Kulei Alachson, or 12 connections in Kabbalah, that each one correspond to a different one of the 12 tribes. And 
Those 12 connections, like the spherot themselves, are actually built into creation. God built these systems into creation. And that's found in the cube. Um, every cube has 12 angles in it. If you look at a cube, try it, you'll see there are 12 angles on every cube. And that um, is the Yudbet Volea Lachson, the 12 connections of the spherot compared to which each tribe is compared to, each one having a distinct path to God. Now, we today have lost that tribal identity, um, and, but we still have, are each from a tribe, and that tribe is our unique path to God. But because we've lost that tribal ident- identity, says the Ari today, we all each have part of each of the tribes within us, and we're probably all descendants of members of each tribe. In other words, we probably have ancestry from each tribe by now. And so we each have each of those paths within us, and we have to work with each of those paths together. And Dari actually explains how we can merge all the paths to find what he calls the 13th path, or a path where we can merge all of them. So we actually have a tradition. The 12 tribes, each of the 12 tribes, when they first inaugurated the temple, um, on the first day of the month of Nisan, of the second year after their exodus, they, of almost a full year after their exodus, they first inaugurated the temple. God allowed, said that each tribe should bring an inaugural sacrifice, an inaugural gift to the temple each day. We read it in yesterday's Torah reading. And so the 12 tribes that gave the inaugural gifts, every tribe gave it on a different day of the 12 months of Nisan. So each of those 12 days, of the, the first, first 12 days of the month of Nisan, which is the month of Passover, each corresponds to a different tribe. And so the Ari said that we should each read every day, we should read the sacrifice of that tribe, and we should connect to the spiritual power of each tribe every single day, because we are each able to connect to the uniqueness of each tribe. So while we are a collective as the Jewish people, each one of us is unique and individual, and we each have that tribal connection, in other words, that uniqueness, which we're all connected today without the tribal identity to each of the 12 tribes. But at the other hand, we each still have that tribal identity today, our own mini tribe within ourselves, our family, our grandparents, our tradition, our legacy that we are continuing. And we have to give that to our children. We have to give our children or our nephews or our cousins, our relatives, we have to give them that tribal legacy. They should continue the tribal legacy. Um, The Torah and throughout scripture we use the term not to break the chain. You don't want to break that chain. You don't want to break that legacy. And every person today, every Jew today stands on, we're probably over 100 generations from Sinai. We stand on a legacy of over 100 generations, each of us. And so we have to keep that chain of our particular branch of the chain going. And it's our role to keep it going for ourselves and for our children and for our family, for all future descendants.